Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have your week in sports cars brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and Graham Goodwin, DailySportsCar.com editor. How are you, my friend? I'm sure, like me, you are knackered, worn out, drinking copious (laughs) amounts of caffeine with the two of us having stayed up live reporting 24 hours of Le Mans <laughs> eSports event virtual won by some people uh, the coverage event of our lifetimes speak on it brother Graham uh, I will I, I didn't stay up all night I would admit um, have to say for what I think will be an absolute one-off because uh, I cannot see there's going to be the opportunity or for that matter for the case uh, the case of some of the big names that took part the will to do that again uh, some big pluses definitely would have been drawing a big audience and a varied audience from amongst not just endurance racing fans but esports fans and for that matter because we had the likes of uh, Charles Leclerc and um, Lando Norris Max Verstappen etc uh, Fernando Alonso for that matter um, lots of Formula 1 fans I'm sure sure a fair number of IndyCar fans as well tuning in to, to, to see some of the guys uh, strut their stuff it was not without a couple of issues. Um, uh, I know there have been some concern expressed about the platform that was used uh, by the service supplier Motorsport Games, part of the motorsport.com empire. Um, lovely and indeed, people. That did, uh, lovely people. Lovely people. Uh, they're, all, they're on my, um, that my list of people I would invite to a dinner party uh, should I get that opportunity uh, not to attend that dinner party. Um, but the... A uh, couple of red flag periods while the servers, I think, either cooled down or needed to be reset. Putting that aside, though, um, the ACO, the WEC, did a very good job indeed of presenting that show. Uh, the studio show was very good. Uh, delighted to see that Eduardo Freitas uh, was on point, and it seemed that people were taking this uh, as seriously as an event of that kind of status should. Um it was run, won by one of the Williams, uh, Re- the Rebellion Williams Esports teams. Uh, it was a battle to the finish with, of all people, by Collis in LMP2. Porsche ran away with the GTE title. And honestly, at, at that point, that's as much as I'll really say about it. It was not without dramas. It was not without action that was well worth watching. It was a beautifully presented piece of television. It was great to see that it was globally available free to view. It will certainly not lose any friends to endurance racing. My guess is it might open a few doors with people having been exposed to uh, the endurance racing way of things. And I think it impressed a fair number as well. Um, opportunistic in a very good sort of way. Well done to all concerned in doing it. Now let's move on and let's go racing. There we go. Well, is the man who chooses which category we start with each week. Tell us where we are kicking off, my man. We're, we're going to go to one of four available. You got what you want me to tell you which one? That just, would help. You could surprise me, though. It's four to one shot. Let's go with him, sir. What? I th- I think this is the manyth time in a row we started with him, sir. But we will. Uh, we will. In- I think so. But I want to disappoint people. Yep. Well, there you go. <laughs> so lob my way. I'm going to start with Andrew Marshall. 
uh, which uh, slightly confusingly is first four words of this question are Andrew Marshall, hello Marshall. So I think it's Andrew Marshall, not Helio Marshall. I think he's saying hello to you as Marshall, but let's brush over that. Is Panos planning to run their GT4 car in IMSA? Are there any discussions about them making a GT3 car? I have heard nothing about Panos doing anything in motor racing since dawn past, unfortunately. Um, knowing how their SRO World Challenge Americas GT, whatever the correct name is, knowing how that program came to an end uh, after dawn passed, not too long after dawn passed, I have heard nothing, unfortunately, about them continuing and doing anything whatsoever in terms of building race cars to sell or to compete with. Uh, the, the only thing I've heard, and it's it's not a kind of definitive, is we did an interview with Tommy Milner uh, fairly recently for our Best Car, Worst Car uh, slot we've been doing during the kind of lockdown months. And um, we did cover off this. Um, we did a, a kind of piece asking about his dad and that career. And he did mention that his dad, Tom Milner Sr., of course, had been disappointed not to continue in tribute to Don Panos. Um, so that sort of felt like a bit of a full stop to me. Yeah. Yeah. I Which think, is rather shame. I fear, I fear that is the case. Let's move on. Let's uh, go to Eric Harrader. Uh, can you dive more, Marshall, into Multimatic spinning off their motorsport activities into a separate corporation? Uh, this is their special vehicles operations uh, organization. Presumed, says Eric, this is to separate it financially from some of the other engineering and OEM work they do. It says, thanks for the great show and thank and hi, he says, to the cats and the huskies. Uh, not huskies, plural, but there's a big husky at the door at the moment. Well, and I've got Rosie riding shotgun on this event. She is staring out the window looking for things to attack through the glass. Uh, Eric, as I understand it, this is just a simplification. Also one that we might describe as a sales streamlining. So Multimatic does many, many things for many people by and large in the automotive industry, but they are a varied and multi-skilled organization that spans uh, more than one continent. They are big company. They do many things of those items, the special vehicles bit plus the motorsports bit. Uh, certainly the part we know most about have been a little bit curious over the recent years, at least, especially since Lola came into their fold uh, with them picking up that asset as uh, Lola unfortunately went away. I was just curious, Eric, how the Multimatic that we know in the world of sports car racing is one that just fits within a much bigger assembly of services and how and why that wasn't pushed more to the fore in this industry. So at least as I interpret this and with the right man, Larry Holt uh, being Mm -hmm. placed in charge of this, this seems to me, Eric, just to be a case of, okay, we now have this walled off. You can come straight to us. You don't have to come in through, you know, calling the, uh, the main office number and trying to figure out which 
of the many departments that we have you might try and get to to get to us seems like just a pretty smart thing where you can say okay industry not so much those who know us because you might be working with us already and no one in the world might actually know about it but for those in the industry that know we're here great for those who don't which is where i think this decision really has come from eric this is just consolidating what they do walling it off having a dedicated management structure and an ability for new entities to reach out to Multimatic and maybe have just an easier way uh, of identifying with this business that has been, uh, again, I don't want to say spun off, but uh, something that has been at least streamlined from the rest so that interested parties uh, can certainly find them and it might just be easier for them to work with them as well in this dedicated capacity. So I know it might sound a little weird, but as someone who needs to find people and look up things and search things uh, on a regular basis to do my job, it's always interesting coming across those who make it really easy, those who make it really hard, and the guessing game you have to play. So I think here we have Multimatic just making a much bigger stand and push for their special vehicles and motorsports operation to be an upfront portion of their offerings. A lot easier for, for folks to connect with and to promote themselves as such a service for those who aren't in their hemisphere to enjoy. Uh, Jeff, up uh, on that one by saying, do, is there, are we going to see the Ford GT back racing with that recent news? I can't imagine, Jeff, because this isn't a case of Multimatic making that decision. I uh, would say that this is very much a case of Ford deciding to spend money for competition to happen. And like so many entities in motor racing, it's just a question of which external entity is paying for it. And so we have a case of Multimatic doing as they were asked, doing as they were contracted to do, making Ford GTs, putting together a racing team, racing those cars, and with Ford saying, program's done, uh, who's going to pay for it? Multimatic certainly doesn't gain anything from continuing to race the Ford GTs by paying for it themselves. They're already paid to manufacture and support the cars. So would love to say that, yes, this is something that's happening. I can't think of any reason for it to happen, though, Jeff. Tend to agree with that one. Let's move on. Damien Petron says, Marshall, if Lexus were to enter LMDH, what engine would you like them to use? The GT3 uh, engine, that's a naturally aspirated V8, or their GT500 engine, which is nowadays, that is a, um, it's a blown four-cylinder, isn't it? Believe so. I, Damien, what I don't know, is what we are going to hear when we get to this LMDH changeover. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. I know it's scheduled for 2022. Still a bit dubious in my mind if that's going to hold. But I'm not totally sure if we're going to continue to have Cadillac in their naturally aspirated V8. I do like the mix of sounds in LMDH from the twin-turbo V6s, the single-turbo 4 and also 
the big old American V8. So even if it's a Japanese V8, I still like that sound. So knowing that we might not have the Cadillac here, and they've been very forthright from everything I've heard behind the scenes and saying, hey, we're not committing to anything, not saying we're going, but don't just automatically count us in. Mm-hmm. If Lexus were to do this, Damien, I'd love to hear their V8. And uh, it, it does sound different to the other V8s, at least as we hear in GT Daytona. Granted, those have some pretty significant muffling going on, but I'd go with that. Uh, single Turbo 4, meh, never done much for me. And maybe struggling to think of other options they would have to throw in. Okay. A couple of questions now on the back of Porsche. And this is the kind of fallout from their pullouts at the end of this season with their GTLM factory team. Our good mate, Right Turn Lover, says, with their non-continuation GTLM factory team, would you expect more Porsche Works amateurs uh, to crop up in GTD? in parentheses, customer teams, should IMSA take a stronger stance on more or less covert programs in GTD to redirect manufacturing intentions to GTLM? Not dissimilarly, Matt Anderson says, last week's discussion about Porsche pulling out of IMSA, not being a gentleman driver we could think of that would have the money and desire to fund it out of uh, pocket, made him think if he still gets racing use in jail, if Scott Tucker is sitting there thinking, I'd have funded that, if so... Would that be the ultimate devil's bargain? Would you rather have Porsche not present or else Scott Tucker be the one to save it? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, I, I, I love your questions each week. <clears throat> I do know, I can't tell you whether Mr. Tucker receives racing news, but I do know that he does have the ability to email. Uh, mm. I know that uh, having spoken with a friend. Uh, who emails with him uh, on a semi-regular basis. So would have to imagine such things might be contained. So you have this thing where the cars that are going silent at the end of the year do belong to Porsche. They obviously have the right to decide on what they would or would not sell to someone. Uh, I would say in light of all that has happened to Mr. Tucker and how even compared to the time where things went badly for Mr. Tucker and he then went to the pokey and got locked up, the tolerance in society for being associated with such people, wherever it was when he went to jail, it's in a much worse place today. Uh, So from companies taking a stand for the first time in the recent weeks, from a societal level, speaking out on care and tolerance and so many other things, uh, this might be a hard one to put past Porsche, I would say. I think knowing how image-conscious their overall parent company is, Volkswagen Audi Group, with some pretty serious misdeeds in Mm -hmm. the last decade or so, It might be a bit hard (laughs) to get Porsche to say, yeah, I know our corporate entity here. Well, hey, we just had to fire a kid because he decided that cheating, deceiving folks in esports was funny 
And yeah, we've paid billions upon billions for cheating and deceiving folks with our diesels. But hey, let's take money from a convicted, call it Ponzi scheme, you name it type, uh, who was himself fined more than $1 billion. Yeah, maybe it's the, the billion dollar fine club motorsports, right? Let's put that together. Um, I'm thinking, Matt, that this might be a bit of a hard one to uh, get past the uh, the decision makers at Porsche to allow. I don't know. I think you're missing something here that no. does give an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Gives an opportunity for a brand new title sponsor for a major IMSA event. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2021 Parolex 24 Hours. Oh, no. But we, I mean, this does also have another option as well to introduce a co-driver who I know that Scott was very fond of. He's also sponsor of the show. Hammers for you. Hammers for me. Hammers for everyone. Christoph Bouchou's Hammer Emporium. And there we go. Uh, you know. Let's move. Let's move on. You, you, you actually, you've segued beautifully here into another question. You talked about some decisions that would not have been thought possible just days ago. And uh, it's another right to another question. There have been others around. Does NASCAR's ban of the elongated two-to-one aspect ratio version of the battle flag of the, Ameri- the Army of the Northern Virginia, commonly and historically inaccurately referred to as the Confederate flag, also apply to NASCAR-owned IMSA events? I was speaking with someone yesterday, I believe, right turn lever, wasn't specific to this question, but maybe the answer will cover it. I have been quite surprised to note how quiet IMSA has been in comparison to its parent company, NASCAR, even in comparison to IndyCar on the topic of weighing in socially, having some sort of voice or presence, having something that suggests IMSA is in the same progressive mindset as other racing series are demonstrating. So I will say that I don't know to answer. I don't know. I can't really recall seeing many, if any Confederate flags at IMSA races, maybe again, maybe outside of the Rolex 24 Daytona where I would assume one or more of the campers in the infield happens to attend both the Rolex 24 and Daytona 24 have their kind of standard uh, unboxing affair, putting out all of their kit and putting up their flags and that being part of it. But beyond that, I don't honestly know. And yeah, I am very curious to learn where IMSA's proverbial head is at because it's not as if they have to come out in public and say anything just comparing what others are doing including their parent company nascar 
and in a really bizarro turn, Graham, NASCAR, which has been, I believe, globally regarded as the most backwards, uh, retrograde motor racing series, professional series on the planet, behind the times on everything, whether it's their cars, technology, uh, just thinking, uh, societally, etc., etc. We have this really interesting scenario, my friend, where as of today, Sunday, June 14th at 11.01 a.m. California, they are the most progressive motor racing series in the world. <laughs> and it, it's something wow. I could have, would have never have guessed, never have imagined, and I'm so thankful for it. And nothing yep. that I'm saying is critical, negative, or otherwise. I never imagined that if by chance this dream that I have had, and I think many others have had for a long time, of seeing motor racing take a stand socially to try and improve inequality, however they might do it, in our own little world, I never imagined that NASCAR would be the leading light, the loudest voice, and the most active body. And so to your question, right turn lover, I don't know. I would assume so. But the fact that Jim France, who is the CEO of NASCAR, who is the guy behind IMSA, that was his passion project in the France family, was sports cars. And he has been its largest advocate, proponent, you name it, the biggest driver behind it. I'm not pointing this at Mr. France. I'm just left in a place of curiosity where on the NASCAR side, there is this, hey, we're a part of the bigger, wider community than our history has demonstrated. And we're going to set new trends and become good citizens. It just strikes me as extremely odd that we have not heard that on the IMSA side where you would think this would be a blanket thing, but maybe we're awaiting a press conference in the coming days, Graham, that we don't know about where all these things might be expressed. But to date, having seen IndyCar, Formula One, and NASCAR take societal leadership roles in the industry, this is a void that is starting to look curiouser and curiouser with IMSA. Interesting. Okay, a couple more to wrap up the IMSA questions. Uh, Trevor Gagola says, uh, will LMP2 or GTE cars, this is equally valid, by the way, to the ACO side of things, ever receive some form of hybrid power in the near future? So LMP2 or GTE. Along with hybrid power, could we see any mainstream manufacturers starting putting their names into this category as customer cars, as they already do with DPI at a similar level, uh, performance level like Cadillac? Trevor, I think I hybrid would... power is an inevitable, don't you? Well, Trevor, I think for the GTE side, yes. Uh, for the pro side, yes. I could absolutely see that because that is road relevant today. That is an aspect of road relevance that is certainly here, but it is not currently allowed. So this is something that I would be very surprised uh, if we do not see some sort of adjustment 
in the next round of GT Pro GT rules. That also being a big question mark. What's it going to be? When is it going to be? What's it going to look like? GTE slash GTLM, GTE AM, GTE Pro. I mean, again, we don't know. We, we certainly know that there needs to be something, but we don't know when. But I would say that, yes, the ability for hybridization in GTE, provided GTE survives, would be a necessity, really. Uh, if Now, this might come at the cost of some LMDH or you know, factory prototype racing, but if Acura were allowed to race its NSX GT3, which is hybrid in its road-going version, but not in its GT3 version right now, not allowed, if they were allowed to race that in hybridized form, I wonder if the factory budget would tip in that direction compared to a big top-tier prototype. And who knows? Maybe they do both if they had the money. But I would say GTE for sure, Trevor. LMP2, I can't because that is still meant to be a Pro-Am class. It is not meant to bear the costs or, frankly, the technological advancements of the top-tier prototype class. So... That one, I would think, in the interest of keeping it healthy and financially reasonable, uh, at least for however many couple years in the future, I can't really see that one becoming hybridized. And then there's the other quick point, too, Graham. I was just going to mention that you, you might have the argument of, well, but if everything is going to be electrified in some way, shape, or form, shouldn't all classes be? I mean, I can't argue that in a general sense, but I would also say it reminds me of awarding double points. If you award double points at one race or two races, the two, you know, one or two biggest ones, they have extra meaning. If you award double points at all races, it has no meaning because there's no, again, it's, you could award quadruple points. It's all the same. If every single class in IMSA or the WC or whatever is all, everything's hybrid. Uh, I'm not saying that's a, a bad thing, but I am maybe saying you might begin to lose a real promotional angle here. If everything and every class is hybrid, it's a little bit hard to point to any one of them as unique. So I think it actually serves Trevor to have at least one or say half of your classes just be more simplified technologically and budget-wise that fall along the pro-am lines and leave the hybridization to the pro classes where manufacturers play because that is certainly something they would want and need to use to promote okay finishing off with two about uh, tracks uh, in the u.s dustin marlowe says several u.s series have managed to rework their schedule um, by relying on heavily on tracks as series have some ownership relationship with at some level. Obviously, IMS has done that with Daytona. What other tracks exist under the IMS and NASCAR ownership that could host an IMSA Roval event? Or is this an appropriate time to start considering IMSA contesting a true Oval event? Doesn't know about us guys, but we'd love to see C8Rs and 911s, which you're not going to see, fighting it out at some place like Bristol. Ah. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Uh, I would say running down the list of everything that NASCAR owns might be fun and interesting, but I can't foresee any of those items, uh, those tracks being things that really jump out as realistic. I mean, I know that back in the Grand Am days, they tried to run on the Roval, I think it was Kansas Speedway, which was just horrific uh i mean there are oval based properties where they could try and do this i mean really charlotte is the only one that jumps out and that's not nascar owned that's owned by uh uh humpy wheelers speedway group so but granted they charlotte's obviously a big and important race within nascar so i'm sure if there was a desire uh that could be you know made possible i just can't think of any that aren't kind of comical, funny, you know, let's go to Martinsville and run backwards or, you know, let's go to some crazy little thing. Let's go to Talladega. You know, granted, there are there's precedent from back in the day, old school IMSA, where they would go to these giant ovals and do the roval infield section uh, as well. But if we're talking real things, like true, true, real opportunities, Dustin, can't think of any that they own that have really viable roval type scenarios i do love the idea of just an oval race granted michelin would have to do a lot of work on tires to withstand that because what they make for road racing which is awesome isn't meant for high sustained loads especially on the right side tires so uh i don't know maybe a short oval though like a really true short oval would be a blast and just to close here, Graham, the NASCAR truck series does, I forget, I think it's Eldora. They go and hit the dirt. They do uh, mm-hmm. one dirt event per year, Ooh. right? I mean, jack up the ride height on prototype Come on. GT cars and hit the dirt. I mean, that'd be, <laughs> that would be a blast. We're going to finish off with Imps of there. There's one other question in that uh Regardless, if we get time to get there in general or fun, we'll do that. Uh, but I think it's time to switch, to go to Weck, Aslam's, Elms and Akko, which means it's your turn to catapult questions it may make. Mr. Goodwin, we have heck a bunch of questions on virtual Le Mans. What's the French word mm. for virtual, by the way? Virtual. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I'm not. I, I might need to go to school to learn that one. Uh, let's start with Doug Bonham. This is last week. The ASO released a statement insisting that people organizing online endurance races set at a virtual Lasarth not call them virtual 24 hours of Le Mans. Have you heard of an enforcement uh, of idea that is as late and as pithy as this one? Uh, this case is closing the barn door so long after the horse is gone. It's left the country, grown old and retired by now. Uh, yes. Now, let me throw in one other one. Yeah, Were you it. aware, Graham Goodwin, prior to 2020? Yes. I've heard rumor that some people gathered around the Lamar race weekend and held virtual races of their own. But it's just a rumor. Do you have any merit to this, or did it all start with the ACO's idea here in 2020, which I think might be the accurate version of history? Yes? No? It's all all madness, isn't it? (laughs) Look, um, not a fan 
of legal-esque language being thrown into an enthusiast market at all. It's very clear there have been um, long prior arranged 24-hour races, some of which may or may not be on a virtual um, uh, Le Mans circuit de la Sarthe. Um, I don't think that was their finest hour, the uh, the note that did the rounds there. Uh, I suspect that was possibly somebody expressing to a person of some influence in the chain of command, uh, some confusion between one event and the other, and possibly picked the wrong day to do it. Uh, and I think things got a little out of hand there. Uh, there is clearly, There are clearly other events. There was one last week, there's one next week. I think the iRacing event next week, this well established. <sighs> Look, intellectual property is, is a thorny subject. For me, and particularly right now, we all need to just chill a little bit. There might have been some concerns about whether or not the uh, the event that we've just experienced um, was getting the correct level of exposure. There might have been some doubts as to whether or not it would draw that audience and they didn't want to dilute that. I completely understand that. But I do think they could and should have thought about the way in which that is viewed externally and in particular with an audience that they were clearly keen to attract and that is the online esports community uh, and it's from there that most of the the ire if i can uh, express it that way came for that decision not their finest hour is the honest answer we've got a few other questions here now granted we were intending to record this on thursday my schedule we changed more and than mine. once no this is on my end uh, so apologize here. This has happened more than once recently. So we're still endeavoring to get this done during the week itself. Nonetheless, it's happening on a Sunday after the event has ended. But let's yep. uh, let's throw in one that certainly would have been great to answer before. <laughs> Alex Eichmiller asks, will the virtual Lamar coverage be as bad as the actual Lamar coverage we got in the U.S. last year? Well, I know you've expressed and been fairly blunt about the the, uh, the service you got last year for Le Mans. Let me just say this. Um, many of the people involved in the production of the, the Le Mans 24 Hours Virtual, or whichever way around they've expressed it, in a peculiarly French way, are friends and colleagues from the WEC TV team, um, with some additions. I was hugely impressed by the way that actually was pulled together as a TV product. Uh, I thought the way they weaved in interviews, um, particularly bearing in mind that almost all the interviews were done remotely. I thought the the people they had on, people from Hang Stuck, we had Henri Pescarello in the studio, we had Tom Christensen, who I'm not quite sure what went wrong, because Tom, I believe, should have been in the studio, but wasn't. Dindo Capello, Manuel Piro, uh, Wolfgang Ulrich, uh, Alex Wirtz, uh, Jackie X and Derek Bell were there together, Jackie Stewart, you name it, they were all there as part of that show and i thought for me as a massive enthusiast that i am the way that that was done and alan mcnish was doing many of those interviews i know martin haven had a crack at a couple as well um i thought that was a really excellent part of it as a tv product i thought it held together i must admit i watched more of it because of that than i otherwise probably would have done as an individual um uh, what can I say about what you were doled out with last year? Having not seen it and just heard about it, the race deserves better, is the straight answer. Uh, I will say this. In terms of the 
the presenting team that was on site, two lead commentators, Ben Constant-Duras, and my regular partner in crime with WCTV, Martin Haven, both did an excellent job. We had two young commentators more familiar with sim racing, which is exactly the way it should be, with Alan McNish and Hayley Edmund, uh, who is, uh, Hayley is a recent addition to the LMEM TV crew. We'll see a lot more of her this season. Alan McNish, I've never heard of that guy before. She, about you? she has... Elaine, I believe, Elaine McNish, she was also fantastic. Yeah. The, the, only, the only amusing part of this is that you've got to be, be really careful when you're actually uh, you know, uh, doing the kind of TV presentation that they were doing, which was the kind of classic kind of desk with backdrop, that you don't get Martin Haven sitting in Alan McNish's seat or vice versa. Because how can I put this? The vertical difference between the two is another Alan McNish. <laughs> yeah. But no, uh, good, good job. Genuinely good job. You know, there were, there were things that they will see and wash up um, around the way in which the product uh, behaved itself with servers needed to be reset a couple of times, completely out of the TV uh, people's control. Uh, that one is something that uh, sits at the at the door of the motorsport games uh, guys, and there are, in fact, two platform that they were using for that. But you know what? It's yeah, a race series have full course yellows and red flags. It, it you know it was jarring, but not a disaster, and they dealt with it well and they covered well. And for me, the the, the true. Uh, worth of a professional TV presentation team is when things go wrong. That's when you see how good these guys and girls are. And I thought they were very good indeed. So hopefully, Alex, if you did get a chance to watch it, and as I said a little earlier in the show, delighted to see that it was free to view on all the relevant uh, social media channels, as well as a range of um, TV channels, ESPN, I know, carried it in the States, um, that I think that's the way you do it. Um, I think they've got good reason to have had uh, a wee drama for you, we Al, and a glass of wine for most of the rest of them and give themselves a bit of a pat on the back after that one because I thought that was a very well-presented, um, I think, one-off event that uh, I think won them some friends. Would definitely say it would be smart for the ACO in the WC to consider making this a more formal annual affair, obviously not with not able to repurpose uh, comms team. You know, there are many things that would be applied to the race proper, but holding a more, yeah, we want to be here and give you something that is truly connected with us. 24 hour virtual event. uh, I can't imagine that would be a bad thing. And I positive many other racing series will be doing that with their, biggest events, the Daytona 500s, Indy 500s, and such. Uh, that would be pretty darn smart. Let's go to a guy in a grumpy bear suit. Said, what are your thoughts on Michelin being named the official tire supplier of the virtual 24 hours of Le Mans? Yes, this is really a thing. Uh, I'll just throw in with that, Graham. This is the only thing that as a racing person, compared to someone who maybe not in seeing these things and then tuning in, I think the note here from uh, our dearest, dearest friends in a grumpy bear suit might be the pointing out of a little bit over the top in the, hey, the new hydrogen-powered vehicle is going to pace 
the virtual 24 such and such and retired French basketball player Tony Parker is going to wave the tricolor and the this it now I again I don't know if where you fall and I might sound like the yep. old out of touch guy but it seemed like the hype machine behind all the virtual things down to Michelin like doesn't Michelin kind of supply most of the field real world as well so is not a non item but I don't know where you fall in this but our, our dearest friend in a grumpy bear suit is pointing out something that stood out to me as a l- pretty seriously over the top. It, I, I get it. And to an element, yeah, there were bits of it that were kind of, ooh, no, that, that looks a little bit much. But think about this. There are valued partners to these championships, and these races, that would by now have expected a lot more return on their investment. And to be, give people an opportunity to activate some of that, Frankly, to keep some of that money in the system, sure. put 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 our cynicism, and I do have some cynicism for it individually, to one side, and put our common sense commercial heads on, and I completely get it why they've done that. Um, so, and I think that we'll, we wait and see, but it remains to be seen whether or not at least one of the sponsors we saw as part of this, I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see them represented when we get back to real racing. I'm going to keep my powder dry on that, but there's one sponsor I spotted as part of this event, which I'm very keen to see whether or not we retain that within the endurance racing fold, which is somewhere in ACO world, at least they're not at the moment, a recognizable name and recognizable color scheme. that I've not seen before um, on an ACO grid. Keep, Keep your post on that one. We'll wait and see. But that, I think, is the answer. It is about it's the commercial realities. The reality is that very few of us have earned much, if any, money over uh, recent weeks and months. And we shouldn't expect that, you know, the ACO, the FIWC have been any different than that. Remember, too, we're losing races. So they're losing opportunities to um, to activate that investment from uh, from partners and sponsors. So, yes, share a little bit of the cringeworthy um, side of things, but then the commercial realist in me says, actually, I completely get why they're doing it. And no argument there. That That's the obvious part that we know. Maybe my sentiment falls along the line of announcing that you're going to be the supplier of tires <laughs> for a virtual non-existent... Re- you're going to supply non-existent tires for a virtual race seems a little bit silly knowing that one could spend time, Graham, uh, offering a rather compelling story of how Michelin engineers have worked with R factor two, et cetera, worked with teams done this in real multi-axis simulators to get the tire model correct. And this is how we have applied from the zillion spent, in our real sports car endeavors to create tire modeling accuracy. And yeah, I mean, that's a really compelling story and really interesting. And I think shows the depth of a Michelin or whichever company might've been the one doing this, just a press release saying, Hey, we're going to be the official non-real tire supplier uh, for a virtual race. Again, I know that that creates a headline and ticks a box. Uh, to give yep. return on investment back to key partners. I just thought that that went about as safe 
and low ambition as could be. So maybe that's the thing that tickled my don't make this, no sense did, bone. Uh, there's, there's one we've got here, which I know is not a question. It's more a statement. But I, re- I read it when putting together the question list with, with Ryan Kish earlier this week. And it did speak to me, but I want to expand on it. It's from Darnell J- Jordan, who says, if virtual racing stopped taking itself more seriously than it deserves, yeah. more people would treat it as seriously as it does deserve. Completely correct. No difference, by the way, esports and virtual racing than any other part of life. We all live in our own little bubbles in the areas in which we're passionate about and which we're enthusiastic about. And I'm absolutely no different from that. Perfectly well aware that I'm, you know, one of these kind of massive uh, fans of and uh, ambassadors for, if you like, uh, endurance racing, because it is my passion. To a certain extent, it's my job. Um, but virtual racing, exactly the same. I uh, did get myself into a little bit of this uh, overnight and a bit of a kind of Twitter spat about um, people losing their minds over uh, uh, taking an opportunity to put a car that had been uh, retired back into the race because a, mis- a coding mistake had actually put them out of the race. And I've not got a lot of sympathy for that. The rea- I think my, my answer to it was it's not real. It, it's not meant to be dismissive of the achievements in that industry and with that sport uh, in any way, shape or form. It's meant to try to give balance to the point where you've got to look at what it is was was trying to be achieved by this event. It's about filling a void, filling a space. It's about, you know, um, keeping an audience together and enthused and entertained. And if actually a mistake was made that was out of the power of those concerned, and this was the the card that included uh, Rubens Barrichello and uh, Fernando Alonso. It was uh, you know a couple of um, rather weird aspects of the of the program, the game uh, that basically led to them having to leave the pits with no fuel. Um, but for me, if you can turn back that clock, then no harm, no foul. As it turned out, they didn't win anyway. They didn't come anywhere close to winning. Uh, and more people will have tuned in to watch what they were doing. That's not a bad thing. And if you want to be a purist about it and say, no, they should park their asses down and blah, 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 let's not have the finger pointed at them. Fernando Alonso uh, was perfectly kind of straightforward about it. He said, very disappointed. I'm going out for a bike ride. Had to come back from that bike ride after he was told the car was back in the race. So I think we all just need to take a chill pill really you know um and understand what everybody's trying to do here it's to keep a community together and if possible to grow that community community of enthusiasts community of professionals community of commercial partners without that staying together let's face it there's not gonna be a week in sports cars is there there is not brought to you by cooper tires by the way and the Indeed. justice brothers and torontomotorsports.com <laughs> and bell racing helmets usa Pretty awesome people, I'd tell you. Uh, where are we going to go next, Graham? Why don't we go to, here's an interesting one. I don't pretend to understand it, but I'm going to ask it because Adam <laughs> Farrell took the time to write it. Is Porsche's recent IMSA withdrawal announcement likely to affect the WEC's intention to visit Kyalami in the future? Okay. Or is the circuit considered a separate entity? Well, this is because uh, Kyalami is owned by Porsche. Um, so it was a you know a long-standing facility, thoroughly reworked and upgraded uh, by Porsche down in South Africa. The answer, I think, is no. It's not going to be um, a material 
point here. And particular reason behind that is because you would expect that Carl Army would be looking to earn something from that. Uh, I can tell you, having spoken to a number of the WEC teams, they are disappointed uh, that that uh, race bit the dust for 2020. They ha- they've made it pretty clear what they'd like to see in terms of a calendar for for 2021 and what uh, a number of the teams have told me is they'd like that to be fewer races so that we can actually look at the commercial realities of the post-COVID-19 world and certainly I can tell you this that Carl Army was on their shorter list of races they'd still like to see happen so people actually getting excited about doing something different Uh, Carl Army has the same downsides if you like of uh, uh, long distance, long haul race. It's got one big upside. It's actually on exactly the same time zone as the UK. Um, so in terms of the ability to show that race to uh, a pretty large audience in Europe, you're there in an exotic location, but on a time zone that's actually very friendly to getting the media coverage that you might want for that race to be live. I think I also just for the first time after knowing of Kyle Lamy since, I don't know, for the last 40 years, that'd be a great fake driver name. Kyle Lamy. That's Kyle right. Lamy. Huh? That's right. Pedro's brother. <sighs> All right. We're going to go to Daniel Summersgill. Well, getting sufficient marshals. You know what? I'm yep. a sufficient marshal. But will, be, will getting sufficient marshals be an issue for Lamar this year? with the possibility of travel restrictions and a number of other events taking place in and around the same time, British Touring Car, British GT, and possibly Formula One. Ooh, that's a good one, Daniel. It's a very, very good question. Now, I mean, as things stand at the moment, we're looking at mid-September for the great race. Uh, we are still not sure what is going to happen in terms of their ability to run it in September with any kind of crowd. Uh, I've heard all sorts of um, you know, uh, theories and rumors. Um, I can tell you the latest, because I've just been texted by uh, my friend and colleague Matt Fernandez, is that uh, the latest iterations from the French president this evening, um, this is Sunday evening here in the UK, um, is that there has been no move uh, made in France to change the uh, rules on large gatherings. Whether or not that means a very restricted number of people being allowed to come in and watch, what it means for media, what it means for their ability to actually run that race uh, behind closed doors. I know there's been a number of changes made to the um, the calendar of races at Le Mans. The circuits are open, by the way. So the, the permanent circuits at Le Mans are back open for business, for testing, for school uh, activities, etc., etc. You know, the uh, the 24 hours of moto will uh, be behind closed doors. <sighs> uh, we wait and see. Um, it, 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 for me, I think the chances of it happening behind closed doors are at this stage only going up. And the main reason for that is we're hearing nothing. Therefore, the closer we get to it, the more chance that it will be uh, taking place behind closed doors. Um, if you'd have asked me two weeks ago, I'd have probably said that the chances were pretty low. Right now, I think they're beginning to get back towards the 50-50 mark. Um, I'll say this. Whenever it is, 
I'll be there if I'm allowed to be there, without a shadow of a doubt, whatever my role will be, whether or not that be with a TV mic in my hand, or for that matter, strapped to my head, or as someone writing about it. There is one group more than any other that I feel for the most in this situation. And it's not the fans. I do feel for you guys out there, because this is, for those of us that are insane enough to do this, it is very much one of those markers on the diary that shall not be messed with. The group that I feel really, truly sorry for are the people who would be driving there for the very first time. And I have actually had calls from two or three guys in that situation asking me exactly this question. What do I think? And I genuinely don't know what to say is that, you know, uh, when I talk to drivers, I do from the very earliest part of their endurance racing careers about what that must be like and driving out the pit lane and coming up under the Dunlop Bridge for the first time and heading out on the Honordier and then coming out into that bear pit of a start-finish straight on race morning. You've done it, MP. It's an astonishing arena. What that must be like knowing that your first time doing it isn't going to be like that. You're not going to have that atmosphere. Two, the, I mean, must admit, I'm not a big fan of the um, of the driver's parade, but two of the three guys I've spoken to, that was the first thing they said, which is we're not going to get a, a driver's parade. And that's, you know, it's a big deal because it is the theatre of this. And for me, spare a thought for those guys because, look, in, in some cases, these are young professionals and this is the biggest race of their professional career so far. In other cases, these are guys who have worked their butts off to afford to be there. They've come through the ranks. They've employed professional drivers and professional teams. They've added something in by fueling their passion. And they finally got there. And this year of all years is the year where they're on that entry list. And it's not going to be the same. And for me, they're the ones more than any other group MP that I genuinely feel for, because that's a terrible situation to feel you're in, is that I'm going, this is my live stream, but it is not going to be the same. Hmm. Not the same indeed, but at least for the participants, they still get to participate at the 24 hours of Le Mans. Uh, Let's see. Let's grab maybe go one more because we still have general and yep. fun to get through we've got about 20 ish minutes 25 minutes left let's go to our pal stathis coco since we are at the Le Mans week i'd like to ask both of you what's your favorite what if regarding a race or program at Le Mans over the year uh as a second question for me but let's just stick to that one a what if a what if yeah i struggle for it not to be the nissan program what if they'd actually made that thing work? Could it have been competitive in 15 or 16? Because whatever we think about the way in which that program turned out, there was just something about it that just lit the fire. And there was just something about the kind of the level of bonkers, you know, ambition behind it. The, um, the, the completely left field way in which it was a, uh, addressed and approached um, that, that just appeals to my, my sense of mischief, I think, more than anything else. That, for me, is a big, big what if. And, and by the way, what if that would have left us with four Le Mans prototype one hybrid factory teams for quite a time? Because it would have done um, if, that, if that car had actually shown some 
uh, some hope in 15 and it was a two-year program to start with would they have recommitted i think they probably would have done might we be looking at a completely different recent history in uh in the uh, fi world endurance championship that for me probably the biggest what if what say you mp might fall along a line that could be still floating about as a what if today and i will go back to the late 2000s the team penske porsche alignment oh, in lmp2 yep. with their rs spiders uh believe again i'm trying to recollect correctly uh seem to recall that there was some sort of possibility for them to head to le mans either with those p2 cars or with the lmp1 cars that they were hoping to have that led to their running grand am in 2009 with the possibility of an LMP1 car being developed at Visoc for them to use. Uh, continue to hear rumors and rumblings that although Team Penske represents Acura right now in IMSA, that there still could be some interest in a Penske and Porsche union at some point in the not-too-distant future at Circuit de la Sarth. So I'd say that one. Obviously, Penske has been to Le Mans before, but in terms of getting that overall win, which I guess I'd say is probably the only thing lacking from their incredible CV, having won more Indy 500s than any entrant. Daytona, uh, there's a victory in Formula One. This would be the thing. So, yeah, would love to see it. Hope to hear that it uh, will happen at some point in time. Let's go, Mr. Goodwin, to a little mm-hmm. thing we we lovingly refer to as Hegeneral. Hegeneral. Yes, that's right, as I do my worst non-German accent. Uh, <laughs> uh, applied. Implied. Let's go to John Richter, who asks, is factory GT racing over uh, as we have known it? Will IMSA or WEC just have GT3, Pro-Am, Pro and Pro-Am, and will some of the factory money funnel into prototypes? So you're a person who's had conversations on stuff like this. Mm. Give us some insights, my man. I fear that factory GT racing as we know it has got just a couple of years left to run. Uh, And I think what we're looking at in the relatively near future is something that looks very much more like the IGTC GT3 classes in ACR rules racing. I don't think, you know, it it won't take more than one more uh, manufacturer to exit stage left for this to become pretty unsustainable. That will leave you with two each in IMSA and in WEC. And by the way, we don't yet know which of the remaining ones are definitely going to be there yet. Other than the only one that's declared they will be there is Porsche in WEC. Uh, they've already told us that that program will be retained. We've not yet heard from BMW. Hope they stay in IMSA. We've not yet heard from Aston Martin and Ferrari for WEC. Hope they stay. But for me, the more sustainable thing is customer racing. And customer racing might include the opportunity for those very, very able factory-supported uh, GT3-type uh, squads um, to support cars with whether or not it's a full championship, whether or not it's cherry-picking major events, etc. 
I just think we're looking at a complete recasting of what the, the world of GT racing looks like. And I think that's going to happen pretty darn soon. Remember, there will be a kind of a tailing off of that. If GTLM and GT Pro turn out not to be sustainable, there is still a customer market for those cars that uh, last for, you know, probably two to three years uh, beyond uh, that pullout. But I can see things happening pretty quickly, in particular because three of the current GTE Pro cars can be converted to GT3 spec. Those being uh, the uh, the Aston Martin Vantage, the Ferrari 488, and to some degree at least, we believe the Corvette C8R as well. There we go. Any Hegenerals you want to throw my way? Let's have a quick look, shall we? I'll grab one while you look from Ricky Zagata, repost from last week with Nissan showing off a teaser video of the new Z. Have you heard anything about a GT4 version of this vehicle? I've heard nothing. I nothing. can tell you, Ricky, that at least for the tease, sure didn't look a lot different than the last Z, so I'm <laughs> hoping to see something real, non-teaser, that makes me think, oh, this isn't just a barely warmed over uh, version of the last one. So heard nothing. Not saying that means they won't, but I've heard nothing. Okay. Um, Daniel, uh, sorry, Damian Peachman asks, how many of the remaining IGTC races do we, I think, are likely to go ahead? So what we got left, we have got Spa. That will go ahead. We've got the Indy 8 Hours. What's your yeah, to go ahead? I believe so. Uh, I've heard nothing okay. to say otherwise, and also believe that the timing of that is actually the most beneficial part, knowing that we're talking October. Uh, there seems to be a general belief that we will have fans back at racing circuits and things happening a little bit more normal by then. Granted, I also read about how folks in American states that have kind of come back to normalcy in some degree are seeing pretty significant new spikes in COVID-19 cases. So you might have to disregard everything I said about October looking better, but at least at the moment, um, the farther out, the more confidence there is. Everything will go forward as planned. Because the next one is due to be at the moment, Indianapolis, eight hours, 2nd and 4th of October, then Spa, 22nd and 25th of October, Kailami in mid-late uh, November, and then a still-to-be-announced race in Asia. Now, what I can tell you about that race, I know there's been speculation that will be Sepang. It won't. I'm told neither will it be attached to the recently announced um, Chinese races, uh, two Chinese races for the GT World Challenge Asia. So it won't be either of those races either. Uh, and it will be if it takes place at a track that has seen um, – the SRO uh, GT uh, products race at before, so there is there is already a you know uh, a relationship there in place. But waiting for that announcement to come. But they do tell me that they are confident that they can actually run those races. Remember, in terms of the IGTC, it doesn't need the cars, very many of them, to move between those races. It generally tends to be um, a race covered off by customer cars that are already in the marketplace that's less so of course for kyle army um 
and might well be a little less so uh, for some cars that might be required at Indianapolis. But uh, certainly Bentley, for instance, telling us that uh, their expectation is for Indy that it will be the single K-Pax uh, Bentley that uh, is currently in the uh, in the north in North America. They're, they only have one of those cars there because their other cars are now allocated to the GT World Challenge Europe uh, effort. That K-Pax are kind of semi-works outfit for that. Is that us with Herr General? Or any more that you'd like to have a crack at? I'm taking a look through. Oh, it. I, I just, this one here, Josh Ridgeon. I did spot this. Josh Ridgeon, third time asking, and apologies for that, Josh. Vaguely remembers hearing something a few months ago about SRO resurrecting GT1 in the form of exclusive track days for rich people with rare hypercars, McLaren P1, the like. Is this idea becoming a reality? Has COVID and the current economic climate killed it? Or am I making this up entirely? You're certainly not making it up. I will admit to not having checked with Stefan Rattel and his team lately. Uh, the key thing here is that what they didn't announce was the format of those events. What I can tell you is it certainly isn't going to be racing. We are not going to get people banging doors with Paganis and McLaren P1s and uh, other such uh, extremely expensive cars. So things such as time trials were mentioned, uh, effectively a kind of hyperpole type competition that might be done, uh, you know, fast parade laps may be effectively an opportunity for them to stretch the legs of these cars with or without uh, an audience who knows but i've certainly not heard anything more it would not be a major surprise if that was a part of the product that with the constraints that we've now got on uh, some of the um the, the the racing products that that one um you know bit the dust It'd be nice to think we might get a handful of those cars to entertain uh, for tv cameras at least the Spa 24 hours if we don't get uh, crowds there. But it certainly is something that I know Stefan Rattelli's team would like to actually be rolling out when they can. Sensibly, that might have to wait till 2021 now. All right. Uh, let's see. A couple others here that we might clear off quickly. Uh, Blair Lippert. Marshall, if you get the opportunity to sit down with Roger Penske for an episode of Who the Hell Are You? <laughs> Would you ask him the overconsumption question in its original form or a modified version? Well, first of all, uh, Roger Penske's too smart to sit down for that kind of nonsense. Uh, <laughs> but if I did get him, I'd ask him the full bore question. And that was the deal. Yeah, we had, uh, after I recorded two of the three Penske IndyCar drivers for season two, uh, had one of their PR reps send me a hurried text because the third and final one was about to be take place. They were about to bring that driver down. And, um, uh, apparently the second, the person who did the second one, I believe it was Pagano may have mentioned, um, the final question and he, he didn't care, but, uh, it set off alarm bells at Penske's communications department. Like you wouldn't believe, um, I got this text of could uh could you please uh come outside would like to talk to you and uh said, sure what's up and I knew exactly what it was <laughs> um yes well you know we respect what you do and you know all it's the whole buttering up before you get to the thing uh and so on and so forth um yes yeah, so we understand that uh there is a question that uh you know uh so, and so could you uh please not ask that of uh the the next driver that's due to come down and could you possibly de uh delete those from uh the ones that you've done to which i said no and no 
and that's not me being cool or whatever. It's just, first of all, on season one, which had yep. Penske employee Juan Montoya, and I'm forgetting who all else. Um, I'd already recorded season two with Elio uh, and Ricky Taylor, and so I was finishing up the three other ones. Uh, three, there are three IndyCar drivers. And uh, just said, well, yeah, so you guys already had your people on the show when we did the first season, and I don't know if you listened to it, but I'm not doing anything different than season one. Uh, so, no, I'm not going to change this in the middle of nowhere. Uh, well, could you please bleep uh, any of their you know bad words? I said, yeah, I was already thinking of that. I could probably do that. Um, and then so then the best part, and this I realize is our sports car show, but it, whatever. So IndyCar champion Joseph Newgarden was the final guest of the three Penske IndyCar drivers. This was being recorded at Portland in 2018. Uh, at the end, there was a little kind of construction style, construction site style trailer, you know, to the easily uh, deposited and towable ones. And so there was a one room at the very end of it that was able to use and close the door. And so Joseph comes in after this, uh, very frantic, uh, not heated, but almost heated conversation with the PR rep. And so they bring him down. He walks in, you know, cover your ears, big old shit eating grin on his face. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. <laughs> he says, Hey there, how you doing MP? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. He says, well, just want you to know. And I don't have the PR reps in the rooms for these, by the way. I mean, you know, I don't have PR reps. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, on very rare occasions do I have PR reps anywhere nearby interviews because uh, I don't need someone getting in the way of doing my job. But um, so it's just he and I, and he says, well, Hey there, want to let you know, I was just briefed on your final question and want to let you know that I have been given a answer to provide once it is asked. And it goes something like, this is Team Penske does not answer questions as such, and I politely decline to respond or something along those lines uh, and said, so just want to let you know that's what I've been provided with, and I'm not going to say that, and I'm not going to do that. So you go ahead and ask away your questions, MP, and I'll answer them however I feel like it, to which I said, I love Joseph Newgarden. And so we did just that. Um, and Newgarden might have given the best answer to the final question of, of all in season two because he really went in on the topic. And it was all in pure defiance of his own team. And it wasn't him being disrespectful as I interpreted it. It was him realizing that as a grown man, um, I believe as someone who might've announced he was getting engaged, you know, someone who's yep. evolved enough, lived enough life is looking to get married, start a, you know, real major life of his own with his partner had already become an IndyCar champion, uh, in 2017 for team Penske, really the, the leading face in IndyCar, at least the next generation. It was just fun seeing him say, Oh Yeah. Fully handled me, told me exactly how to respond, can't do it, and here's the pat answer as to why I'm ignoring all of it. 
and I'm just we're just going to sit down and have our conversation and enjoy ourselves. So don't you change a thing, MP. And I was just like, you're the best. I love you, man. And uh, his answer was awesome. He really, uh, like he does in so many things, put a lot of thought into it, weighed all factors. Um, and so it was one of my favorite answers from season two. So um, I don't know, Blair, if that answers your question, but uh, I would ask it. Um, and in season one, I had Catherine Legg on the show and asked it of her, obviously the female version of this, um, would also mention, uh, I invited Christina Jeez, Nielsen Jeez, on for, what? uh, Jeez, bacon burger. Exactly. I invited Christina Nielsen on for, uh, season two and she could not have been more straightforward in saying hell no. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I realize it was pretty much a sausage fest in season two with all men, but uh, it wasn't meant to be, and it's just meant to be an equal opportunity question. Um, that's maybe a little bit funny and and naughty, and so there you go. <laughs> this is this is our polished turd of a show. We haven't had anything so far uh, that we really need to delete, but who knows? Um, anything so, else? It's a, it's a- Here's the, but here's the thing. If you're out there and think you might be part of uh, the Marshall Pruitt podcast season three, uh, who the hell are you? Start thinking now about what your answer might be. That would be a good move. Uh, one final quick thing, and only because it's uh, pretty relevant here. Neil Hardy, in view of the COVID restrictions, how do you see commentating on races being affected? Will pit lane reporting still be possible? Will drones replace trackside cameras? Will commentators have to socially distance or sit in separate booths? Well, other than... The will drones replace trackside cameras, which I don't think will be the case, Neil. Um, the other honest answer to the rest of it is I have absolutely no idea yet. Um, we've not been briefed on exactly what the situation will be. We saw what they did over the weekend with the uh, the virtual race. There was some social distancing in place there for the guys in Paris. Um, I would have thought it highly unlikely that uh, one or two of the uh, the ways in which these things are done, uh, for instance, of the European Le Mans series uh, TV commentary is done uh, in a very small booth in a truck. Uh, that certainly would not seem to be directly appropriate. It would have to be something that's actually cleared with the individuals concerned. So let's wait and see whether or not that one actually happens that way. We could just about manage it within the constraints of what we do for the FIWC. That's a three-person team. Uh, in the booth with myself, uh, Alan McNish, and Martin Haven. But we're yet to be briefed on exactly how that's going to work. So we'll keep you posted. Awesome. Uh, time for fun. Time for fun. Well, we Go never stopped fun. having it. But yes, formally, we're never moving to the fun category. Yep. Well, there's two or three or four here. Let's have a quick crack at this one. Uh, Lake Effect Racing says, Mr. Pritt, Mr. Goodwin, after watching Ford versus Ferrari movie, the storyline was... Mm. you, I'm going to beat you. Are there any storylines that are similar that aren't being covered that should? Huh. I'm trying to think in what exact regard we're, we're thinking at or thinking of here. Um, are we talking modern or just throughout history or what I th- is it? I think, what about, wouldn't it be great to have a, 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 a one of those movies about Grand Am and the ALMS. Wouldn't that be cool? God. Uh, Can you imagine that? 
No. Who would, I, play, I who can't. would play Scott Atherton? I think Patrick Stewart as Scott Atherton. <sighs> Why are you doing this to me, man? You're, you're <laughs> ruining the show. We've gotten this far. We're almost done, and you just have decided to just fire holes into our, our collective feet. What are you doing to me, Goodwin? Um, I How's this? And this is just uh, the first thing to my mind. Uh, I still think the crazy battalion that was the WM Peugeot run for top speed mm. fame in yes. what was that 1988 I believe 87 88 uh, I always forget which but yeah. that would have been I think that could be a lot of fun because you know that there is hilarity you know that there is some half-assed stuff happening you know there are some failures that took place some just you know that even though this has been covered many times in print over the years i think it'd be fascinating to watch this because it's it's almost a subculture or counterculture thing graham and that would i think that might be of particular interest to folks especially modern racing fans who've come to see and i guess unfortunately maybe accept that seemingly every form of racing is so highly controlled, highly limited. Um, even the police outside, are, or is that a that might be? An I'll tell you what, the Amazon, the Amazon, the Amazon van in your your uh, household certainly has got a unusual charm, hasn't it? Yes. Oh, and you're got the robotic uh, headset action going again, so you might need oh. to unplug and replug your uh, your oh, headset, I'll mate, while that. I ramble on here. Um, I think it just might be interesting because it's a very counterculture thing. Um, knowing that there was a point in time where some crazy bastards who had no intent of winning the race, no ability to win the race, no real ability to finish the race, decided they were going to rock up, try and set a speed record in the midst of the actual Le Mans event with no other ambitions other than setting that record. I think that might just be uh, that stands out as one that might be fun plus cool. they were french people so you know there's going to be a lot of gallic fist waving <laughs> and uh galoises consumed uh throughout it so that just adds I, to the value i see john malkovich in there somewhere i see john malkovich playing every character that's where this gets really 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 fun yes yeah, that's where this gets fun. Uh, I'm going to throw this one at you, which I shouldn't, but it's mean. Uh, right turn level, lo- level, right turn level. Please document that, Jacob Bame, yep. in the Twictionary. Uh, right turn lover, uh, powering this episode, apparently. Uh, Marvel has found the best way to, to promote their brand to be entering two LMP2s at Lasarth, and you are principaling the teams. Who gets to drive for Team Avengers, and who will take the wheel for Team X-Men? Right. Okay. Uh, Avengers. It would have to. Be. Let's have a think about this one. Um, Spider Man. Because oh. we're Spider Senses. Okay. That that but that would uh, you know it, you know you've got an LMP two. It's light. It's it's nimble. It's not really an Iron Man thing. Put Iron Man in that one. It's going to go nowhere, is it? Um, so and maybe Ant Man. Because, again, it's the weight factor here that can make a real difference. He's got the strengths, but, you know, to maybe that. Ant Davison, uh, I love it. That's a great call. Absolutely. Ant Davison is Ant-Man. There you go. 
the X-Men. Wolverine would be useless. They'd be God, slashed bodywork everywhere. Um, and he's an X-Man, so therefore, yeah. He's an X-Man. What a... What's uh, Magneto? Because okay. all he'd need to do, coming up behind a car behind, is just magnetize himself and just, just basically, you know, basic magnet on, magnet off. That's a straight line speed effect. Trying desperately hard to think of any other X-Men. I'll be absolutely honest with you. Well, he he, really. he fought the X-Men, but, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and lump no, it in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He was, I think he, he was kind of, he's an honorary X-Men. It's just, yeah, there you go. An honorary an X-Men. I love yeah, it. Yeah, there yeah. we go. And not really an X-Men either, but uh, it was amusing in, which, uh, in the way in which they presented it in the films. Deadpool, if for no other reason than I actually do find it completely hilarious. And I think uh, the combination of the Deadpool character and the ACO, that's a gig I would pay for. Wow. Well, can you imagine that parade? Imagine that on the driver's parade. That would be fun. No, I can't. <laughs> uh, let's see. Ryan Terpstra has one about uh, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Nurburgring. Um, and tr- yeah, I, my brain is not computing that one uh, properly. Uh, next, next week, Ryan. Maybe. Next week. Yes. We might just keep baiting him along. Oh, next week. Oh, next week. We'll see how many weeks we can get him to resubmit it. Uh, let's close with our man, Andrew Baca, a man who uh, doesn't put up with nonsense and who fights the good fight. And if you're saying stupid racist things or whatever things on the interwebs, it's been really cool to see Mr. Baxter here just refusing to uh, put down his sword. So good says, last week, you picked the Rogues Gallery racing team. We're going to close with this question this week, Graham. This week, who are the upstanding nice people you'd put on a team? Ooh. I'm going to throw the first one in. Go on. The team principal, team owner, Giuseppe Risi. Oh, yep, yep. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go for the young gun with funding. A name that will not be familiar if you're not familiar with uh, the ELMS and Asian Mon series. Jack Manchester, young man uh, making his way in LMP2 racing, did very well. Nearly got to the Asian Mon series championship. Um, very, very tall young man, which is why he drives the Lara because he doesn't fit in the other cars. But um, what a privilege it is to actually see the way that young man's been brought up. Man with his own mind, not remotely what some people might expect coming in with budget. Uh, but always a delight to actually talk to him. Also would add into that one, a young man that I know gets a bit of a bad press at times in the NASCAR community, Cody Ware. Hmm. Um, If you're not had time to speak to Cody, please do, because that is one excellent young man. Uh, Again, we have the privilege of seeing in the the paddock for the Asian Le Mans series and hope to see him at uh, Le Mans this year. And if not, we hope they're almost certainly going to see him, I think, in Asia again uh, in the uh, in the next season. So there's two that uh, I think could certainly do uh, do well as you know outstanding young men in an uh, LMP2. What about uh, crew chiefs, MP? The good guys. I I feel bad because we're yanking him out of retirement almost as soon as he has <laughs> entered into it. Dan Banks, good lord, oh, you good will. And it's not just nice. 
it's yeah. it's heart it's character uh yeah. just truly a beautiful human being who is all about his job and being the best at it as possible we know that because he's won four thousand championships and etc cetera, etc cetera. but also someone who invests seemingly equal amount of time in helping others uh whether it is investing his own money in a 100%. camp whose name that i can't pronounce uh where it's just trying to help kids in need uh to annual memorabilia auctions to help and benefit folks just really a guy who is an upstanding character in the world and also happens to be one of the best in the world at his job in sports car racing Uh, i'll say race engineer i'll throw this out two options Uh, you can decide graham who's lead or if they're Mm co-leads i'd say if we're just talking nice heart in the right place and just fundamentally decent lena gay jumps out as one for us to consider i'd also say a member of our podcast family who we haven't visited with in a while and that's my fault that being jeff brown oh wow there you go well what about a couple of pro drivers okay i'm going to give you one and this comes from are there any that qualify (laughs) are there this 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 one uh I'm going to give you this, and I'll tell you part of the reason for it uh, before I tell you it is. Um, some listeners, you certainly know, uh, my family's not been without its challenges for uh, one of our closest members in recent years, um, and that's uh, a situation that is known reasonably widely amongst the people closest to me in my professional uh, circle. Uh, This young man, having found out that we'd had a particular challenge, sought me out and was extremely kind uh, about that. And I'm not uh, an active Christian, I have to tell you, but uh, he did say some very, very nice things uh, in that kind of regard. And I appreciated it uh, hugely. Didn't have to do it. Did do it. Pipa Durrani. I will never forget that. I will never forget it. He is an excellent young man. He is truly a sweetheart, big, big heart. And this is where I think we could actually, I mean, I know you said two, and I, I would not want to give the impression that there are only two we could come up with. There are many, many, many oh, yeah, that yeah. we could come up with. I will add to the pint-sized Brazilian with a... Is it as much as a pint? Yeah, about a pint. Okay. Uh, he wants to be a court, but he's a pint. Uh, I will add to that a normal-sized European who, boy, uh, I've just only seen the uh, really warm and beautiful side of him, and, boy, is he quick like a bunny. That being Renger Van de Zanta. Wow. Wow. Uh, that guy is truly just upstanding person, someone who wants to help, tries to help. Uh, Similar, I could mention as well, uh, knowing the uh, fight that my wife and I have been in for a while, someone who's just, you know, uh, demonstrated in a capacity that I wasn't aware existed, his depth. And so I've had many, and this is the thing where I feel bad. I could probably list 
200 drivers who mm-hmm. have reached out, said something, made, a, you know, done something where you go, good Lord, that's amazing. I'll say that with the vast majority of them, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, mm-hmm. That just, that, uh, that fit their character perfectly. I didn't know Renger well enough to know that that resided within him. And so maybe that's why he jumps out for me uh, in that it was such a, wow, good Lord. Um, this is really awesome to know that that's who you are. So oh, there's so many of them. There are so many of them. Truly. It's got to be said. Got to be said. I'll give one more. And only because. Oh, so again, this is the endurance driver among. This is so the endurance the, driver. Okay. Um, always fun to be with. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Professionally takes himself very seriously. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Is, is, is an excellent company. Um, Alex Brundle. I knew you were going to say Alex Brundle. That's be- a great I choice. Mean, it, because you know what? Again, uh, son of a famous father. And by the way, his father's awesome as well. Um, eh. And abs. <laughs> kidding. Kidding. I love Martin. But, but, um, but just generous to a fault uh, in terms of, you know, when support has been given, when nice things have been said, never, ever lets it go unrecognized and it's appreciated you know and i know he's he's marvelous with fans reaches out does all sorts of things he doesn't have to do um just all-around excellent young man and i've had the pleasure to be able to say that to both his mother who by the way was a massive influence on his career as well as his dad uh to actually pass that back to them and to say you know what an excellent young man uh, Alex has turned out to be, and uh, yeah, so well done, Mr. and Mrs. Brundle, and well done, Alex Brundle, because it's never left you. There that's, we go. That's what I've got. Well, you've got it all. You know what you also get to do since I open our show. You, uh, you, you get to close it. You're the, uh, you're the good old caboose. So take us home. Well, as we get closer and closer and closer to getting back to real world racing, thanks again for joining us on the Week in Sports Cars, brought to you as always by Cooper Tires, by the Justice Brothers, by Bell Helmets USA, and by TorontoMotorsports.com. Um, let's hope there's happier days ahead than we've had recently. It does seem to be coming that way, but for now, join us again. Keep sending the questions in. You are amazing. Uh, never a shortage of questions for the weekend sports cars for now though I've been Graham Goodwin he's been Marshall Pruitt he's got to go and get the parcel from the door before it uh, disappears again Uh, this has been the weekend sports cars we'll see you hear you next week